0: Well, good morning, everyone. Miss Barbara and I are just so glad to be back here at Bloomfield Baptist Church every time we come back. It's like a family reunion. We just have a big time, hug a lot of necks. You know the great thing about hugs? They're non-fattening. There's no cholesterol. And above all, they're free. So that's a, that's a good thing. So if you haven't hugged my neck, I hope you will. And Miss Barbara will be uh, uh, back in the back here after the service at our show-and-tell table. And I hope you'll go back there and hug her neck and look at all the things we've brought, pick up some of the literature. Now, Miss Barber's brought these things 10,000 miles from Malaysia. The least you can do is go back there and admire them. So, remember what your mama taught you, be polite and go back there and admire them. Yeah, we'd be glad for you to do that. Uh, I've often said that December in a Southern Baptist church is all about music and missions. Well, we've enjoyed the music already this morning. Now you're going to get the missions. So let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 13. And we're going to study the whole chapter. We won't have time to look at every verse, but I hope you'll open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13 and keep them open because we're going to kind of walk through the chapter and learn more about how we can bring the gospel to the nations of the world. Uh, Miss Barbara and I are on our final furlough. We're on our retirement furlough. Uh, we're still with the International Mission Board. We returned from uh, Malaysia on August the 1st, and uh, we have about a year of uh, furlough. And that what they like is for the missionaries to come back on furlough and then retire at the end of the furlough. They believe that makes for a smoother transition from life overseas to uh, life in America, and so that's what we're doing, and during this year, I'm teaching missions at the Mid-America Baptist Seminary uh, down in Memphis, and when we retire at the end of September next year, I'm going to stay on there, uh, Lord willing, at the seminary in Memphis and uh, persecute the poor students. Now... uh, I'm going to train them to be uh, missionaries and teach them about missions. And we're looking forward to that. You're certainly welcome to come visit us. If you come see us, we'll, we'll go out and eat some barbecue. And you never know, we might have an Elvis sighting. You just never know. You never know. I've, I've been looking, Leland, but I haven't seen him yet. So, All right. Acts chapter 13. If you study the book of Acts carefully you'll see that in the first 12 chapters of Acts, the emphasis is on the church in Jerusalem. Everything's revolving around the church in Jerusalem, and the church in Jerusalem is mentioned again and again and again. It's obvious that the focus is on the church in Jerusalem. But beginning with chapter 13, the focus shifts. It's as if the Lord moved the camera from pointing toward Jerusalem and focuses his heavenly camera on Antioch, the church in Antioch. Why the change? Why the shift in focus? Well, I believe it's because the church in Jerusalem did not fulfill the Great Commission. In each one of the four Gospels, there is a Great Commission. Now, we think about the Great Commission being Matthew 28, 18-20, And that's certainly correct. But actually, there's a a great commission in each one of the Gospels. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, just before He ascended into heaven, Jesus spoke to His disciples and said, I want you to be My witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the whole world. And then Jesus ascended into heaven. Now... The church at Antioch did that. The church at Antioch obeyed that command, but the church in Jerusalem did not. You know about introverts and extroverts? An introvert is someone who's very quiet, very shy, seemingly looks inward all the time. An extrovert is someone who never met a stranger. They're friendly, outgoing, talk to everybody. You know, they, you know, within ten minutes, they know everybody's name and their dog's name too. You know, they're just, they're just outgoing, friendly, extroverted. Well, the church in Jerusalem was introverted. You could say they had a y'all come mentality. Yeah. In other words, they said, here we are, y'all come. You know, there are a lot of churches like that, aren't they? They said, here we are, you're welcome to come to us. But the church at Antioch was an extroverted church. The church at Antioch was an outreach-oriented church. The church in Antioch was a church that obeyed the Lord's command and they sent out missionaries and they went out to the nations. And that's why the shift. I believe Dr. Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke and Acts as well, was saying, look, Antioch is the church that God blesses. Antioch is the way God wants your church to be. So how can we bring the gospel to the nations? Well, let's read our text. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. That's the beginning of the first foreign mission journey. These are the first foreign missionaries and the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey. Well, what can we learn from Acts chapter 13 that will help us bring the gospel to the nations? Well, the first thing we learn is that we must be a people of prayer. A people of prayer. We read here in these uh, these four verses that the leaders of the church in Antioch were worshiping the Lord. Praying and fasting. And I believe the implication of this is that they were praying to know God's will. They were fasting, praying, worshiping the Lord, saying, Lord, what do you want our church in Antioch to do? What is your will for us? And the Lord spoke to them through the Holy Spirit, and He said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, Paul for the work to which I have called them. So, missions is born out of prayer. You could say the the first foreign missionaries were the, the answer to a church prayer meeting. And the leaders there at the church in Antioch were praying to know God's will. And that's the first step for any church, is to pray to know God's will. What is God's will for our church? Well, the Bible teaches us many, many things that are God's will, like to make disciples of all nations and to be His witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the whole world. I mean, we don't have to pray about that. He's already told us that. But just how do we do that? How do we work that out in practice? How do we apply that Scripture to our situation? That's where prayer comes in. All churches should be guided by the Holy Bible and the Holy Spirit. You know, it's like latitude and longitude. You know, remember when you studied geography in school? You know, the teacher told you about latitude lines and longitude lines. And that's how you fix your position. Any place in the world, you can fix it exactly by knowing the latitude and longitude. And that's what it is. The Bible gives us our latitude, the Holy Spirit gives us our longitude and we know where we are and we know where God wants us to go. We're guided by the Holy Scripture and the Holy Spirit. You can't get better guidance than that. But we must pray to know God's will. And this is where a lot of Christians go wrong. A lot of churches go wrong. They pray, pray, pray to God, their heavenly Santa Claus, trying to persuade God to give them everything on their wish list. That's really not the reason for prayer. That's a great misunderstanding, the purpose of prayer. Oh, I know, the Bible says you can make your requests known unto God. That's fine. He's your loving Heavenly Father. Tell Him what's on your heart. But really, that's the secondary purpose of prayer. The primary purpose of prayer is for us to align ourselves with God's will. We spend most of our time praying, trying to persuade God to do our will rather than praying to know God's will for us. Now let me ask you a very profound question. You may have to think about this for a few moments before you answer. Who do you think is wiser? You or God. Now don't don't answer too quickly. What do you think? Do you think God's will for you and your family and your church is a better plan than anything you could come up with. What do you think? Thank you. Thank you. God bless you, Charlie. I I told him I needed some amens and he was ready to go. Lord knows I need them. I need all the affirmation I can get. That's right. You see, God has a plan. Not just for your life, but for our church. And our job is to study the Scriptures and pray so that we know God's will. But it's not enough just to know God's will. We need God's grace in order to do it. Sandy's nodding her head. She's got a passel of kids. And have you ever told them to do something that they did not do? Well, I'm amazed. She said yes. I'm shocked and dumbfounded. Well, sure, that's the way our kids were too. I'd tell them to do something I'd come along later. Why didn't you do that? I didn't want to. Which is honest, but not helpful. <laughs> honest, but not helpful. I'd say, well, you, you, you've got to do that. Come on now. Sure. Well, Christians are the same way. I mean, when we were young, we disobeyed our parents sometimes. As Christians, we disobey the Lord, don't we? What does the Lord want from us? He wants us to know His will, and He wants us to do it. So we need to pray for grace to obey And when we know God's will and we accept His grace to do it, and we have the willingness, the grace to obey, well, that's wonderful. And God, our Heavenly Father, is so, so blessed. You've heard me preach on that. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Remember that sermon? There's a good one. (laughs) What does it mean? mean? You know, when we obey the Lord, when we praise the Lord, when we serve Him as He wants, that blesses the Lord. That's how we bless the Lord. We think about God blessing us, and He does. But we can bless the Lord by praying to know His will. And doing it. But we have to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the second lesson we learn. Is that if we're going to do missions, we must be a people of power. And that's what we see in the life of the Apostle Paul in Barnabas too. Look at verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. Barnabas was a native of Cyprus. So it was natural that they would go there first. He had contacts there. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of the Lord in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John, John Mark, to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came to a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elemas the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, his Roman name, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him. Here we see the Apostle Paul full of the Holy Spirit, full of the power of God. And that's what we must be. If we're going to obey the Lord and bring the gospel to the nations, we cannot do it in our own strength. We can only do it through the power of Almighty God. And that's what Jesus told His disciples. They're on the Mount of Transfiguration. In Acts 1.8, before He told them to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the world, He said, but you must be filled with power. You must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then you will be My witnesses. Now this is the challenge for us as Southern Baptists. Because, I mean, if, we, if we're honest with ourselves, I mean, we're all about organization. I mean, Southern Baptists could organize an anthill. I mean, we, we, we can organize to beat the band. We're good at organization. My soul. We've got it, too. We've got lots of organization. And we've got lots of programs. I mean, we've got a program for little kids, middle kids, big kids, old kids. I, we've got programs. Lots of them. Well... Is it wrong to be organized? No. Is it wrong to have programs? No. They're a blessing. But you know what? You can have all the organization in the world. You can have wonderful programs. But without the power of Almighty God, there will be no fruit. There will be no effectiveness. There will be no results. There will be no converts. There will be no baptisms. There will be no disciples. We just have church. It will be just a kind of a Christian club like the Lions Club or the the Rotary Club. We've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, if if you study Acts carefully, you'll see that many Bible commentators call this book not the Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because again and again and again, in this book, Dr. Luke, the author, emphasizes what the Holy Spirit did. My students in the seminary often say, oh, Dr. Terry, why don't we see things happening in the church today like we read about in Acts? We read in Acts about how wonderful things, miraculous things happen. Why don't we see those things today? And there are two reasons. We don't pray like they pray. We don't pray. We don't pray like they pray. And we're not filled with the Spirit like they were filled with the Spirit. Oh, I know. You said, oh, Brother Mark, if we got filled with the Spirit, something strange might happen in the worship service. Well, how are we doing with the ordinary? How's that working out for us? Yeah. That's the Dr. Phil question. How's that working out for you? Yeah, yeah. same old? Same old? The old time preachers used to talk about them. What they meant by that was we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And when God's power in His Holy Spirit comes down on His people, then we begin to see things happen that can only be explained by the power of Almighty God. People say, how could that happen? How could that be? We say, that was of the Lord. That was of the Lord. But the truth is, The truth is, most of what we see today can be easily explained by human effort and intelligence. Isn't it true? Isn't it true? Oh, friends, if we're going to bring the gospel to the nations, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see that the Holy Spirit calls people to missions. In the first three verses, we read about how the Holy Spirit said to the church in in Antioch, set aside for me Barnabas and Saul for this work to which I've called them. And the church obeyed. They didn't hesitate. They didn't bargain. They didn't say, Lord, take those other two guys. We can spare them, but we need Saul and Barnabas. No. They laid hands on them, sent them off. The Holy Spirit calls people to missions. The Holy Spirit guides missionaries. You can read in Acts chapter 16 about Paul and his missionary band. They, tried, they were in Asia Minor, what's well now Turkey. They tried to go north and bring the gospel to the province of Bithynia. But the Bible says the Spirit of Christ prevented them. Then Paul tried to go west towards Antioch, one of the great cities of the Roman Empire, but the Holy Spirit prevented him. So he and his companions went to Troas, and they were praying there seeking the Lord's guidance. And the Holy Spirit gave Paul a vision of a man from Macedonia who said, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul and his companions interpreted that as, as God's guidance to them. The next day they took ship and they went over to Macedonia. They made their way to Philippi and they founded, they planted a wonderful, wonderful church there in Philippi, one of the great churches of the New Testament. Now later, The Apostle Peter went to Bithynia. And still later, the Apostle Paul went to Ephesus. But at that moment in time, it was God's will for Paul and his companions to go to Philippi. So that's what we've got to pray for. Not just for the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to pray that God will guide our church to do missions in the way that He wants. In the right place at the right time in His power. And we need to pray that for our missionaries. That they will serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit and reap a harvest of souls for Christ because the Holy Spirit has not only empowered them, but also is guiding them. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit will guard the missionaries. If if you read through the New Testament and study the life of the Apostle Paul, it's an amazing thing It's amazing what he accomplished. The writers of the early church tell us that the Apostle Paul was just a little fellow. He was a a small man. He was bald. He was bow-legged. And he was nearsighted. He was not a good preacher. Well, you remember, he he preached so long one night, it was so boring, that Eutychus fell out of the window of the church house three stories and died right there on the street. Paul had to go down and resuscitate. That's a boring preacher. I've, Brother Richard, I've put a lot of folks to sleep, but I never knew of one that died here. At least not while I was preaching. And if they did fall off, they'd only fall, you know, from the pew to the carpet. So it wouldn't be too. When you think about how Paul was used by God, it's amazing. A small man, a weak man, a man with physical ailments of all kinds, poor eyesight, not gifted in oratory or speech by any means, but God used him to win the Roman Empire to Christ. That should give us confidence. That should comfort us. I mean, people said to me, Well, Brother Mark, how can I serve the Lord? By making yourself available. You don't have to be the the biggest or the best or the brightest or the most eloquent speaker. You just have to be obedient and empowered by the Holy Spirit and God will use you to do things you never imagined. So we need missionaries that are guarded by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul endured great persecution, great suffering in his life. He was beaten, he was stoned, he was scourged, he... Shipwrecked, imprisoned, but the Holy Spirit guarded him until his service was finished. And then the Holy Spirit empowers missionaries. We read about these missionaries again and again and again. In the Book of Acts it says, "And being filled with the Holy Spirit, they fill in the blank." So we need to pray that not only will be filled with the Spirit of God but that our missionaries will be also. It's like Troy Lewis that you saw in the video. Don't you think he needs the power of the Holy Spirit to minister there in Zambia to those people dying of AIDS? He does. He does. We all do. We must be a people of prayer. We must be a people of power. So, Brother Mark, how do we get that power? Ask. Ask. Don't you think the Lord wants you to have it? Of course he does. We have not because we ask not. We must be a people of proclamation. People of proclamation. Look down in the chapter to verse 29. I told you to keep your Bible open. Verse 29, or verse 28. The good news that what God promised to the fathers, this He has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written. We must be people of proclamation. We've got to go out and proclaim the gospel. But you know what? We've got to be clear on what the gospel is. We've got to get that right. You know we, we can't be uncertain of the message or unclear about what it is, but the New Testament makes it clear that the gospel is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, his burial in a borrowed tomb, that on the third day, praise God, the Lord raised Jesus from the dead, and that salvation is available only through Him. That's the gospel. Now, over the years I was here, I preached many things to you. I preached about tithing. I preached about worry. I preached about doctrine. I preached about ethics. I preached about the second coming of Christ. I preached a lot of different things to you, and that's appropriate. The Bible says that pastors ought to preach the whole counsel of God. That means the whole Bible. But that's not the gospel. Something that's perfectly fine to preach is not necessarily the Gospel. The Gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can someone be born again without knowing all about the second coming? Well, of course. That was true of all of us. When you were born again, when you accepted Jesus as your Savior, did you know all about the second coming? No, you didn't. You didn't. You learned about that later, you know, as you grew and grew in your faith and grew in your understanding. But what you have to know to begin as a Christian is that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay your sin debt, and that he rose from the grave to prove that you can have eternal life in heaven, and that if you repent and believe in him, guess what? You can have everlasting life. That's what you have to know. That's the basics. That's the beginning. That's the beginning. And that's what we've got to preach. We must proclaim the cross. Jesus Christ said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. That's our job. That's what missionaries do. They lift up the Lord Jesus Christ so that people can be drawn to Him. And we must proclaim the, the resurrection of Christ so that people understand that Through believing in Jesus Christ, they can have everlasting life, eternal life with Him. And we must proclaim forgiveness from sin. That if we profess faith in Christ, then the righteousness of Christ is credited to us. And the Lord cast all of our sin into a sea of forgetfulness. And they're remembered no more. That's good news. And the people of the world need to hear it. How will they hear? The Apostle Paul asked this. Romans chapter 10. He said, how can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear unless someone preach? And how can they preach unless they be sent? So God calls some to be missionary proclaimers, proclaiming the good news Around the world. And God calls some to be missionary senders, to send those who proclaim. But we must be obedient to God's call on our life, whether it's to go and preach or to rise up and send. We must be a people of proclamation and we must be a people of perseverance. Perseverance. Look at verse 50 in our text. Let's begin with verse 49. And the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. So Barnabas and Saul... They were persecuted there. What did they do? They went on to Iconium. They just kept on. They just kept on. They were persecuted. But they weren't discouraged. They were chased away. But they weren't knocked out. We must be a people of of perseverance. We must endure persecution and pray for our missionaries as they experience it. In missions we talk about spiritual warfare. This is the spiritual fight. This is the spiritual combat that occurs when missionaries go into the area, the territory of Satan. And that's exactly what's happening in missions now. We've, we've got our missionaries going into the Muslim lands and the Hindu lands and the Buddhist lands. and. That's Satan's territory. He's had that for centuries. And as our missionaries go in, trust me, there's combat. There's warfare. Satan is pushing back. In our own life, Ms. Barbara and I have a missionary friend who was stabbed. We have another missionary friend who was shot and wounded. And we have another missionary friend who was blown up by a terrorist bomb in the southern Philippines. And I'm sad to say there will be more why? Because our missionaries are going into Satan's territory. We call it the 1040 window. From 10 degrees north latitude to 40 degrees north latitude from West Africa over to the east coast of Asia. 90% of the unreached people in the world live in that geographical window, that geographical area. 90% of the unsaved people, the lost people in the world, they live in that block. And that's where we're sending the missionaries and there's a terrific pushback. So we must endure persecution, but like Paul and Barnabas, we must continue the mission. Must continue the mission. How long? Well, Jesus explained in Matthew 28.20, He said, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, that tells us two important things. One, Jesus Christ is going to be with us as we carry out this mission. I mean, Jesus had just told His 11 disciples, I want you to disciple all the nations of the world. And then He said, but don't worry. I'm going to be with you always. So there's the comfort, the reassurance of the Lord's presence, but Jesus also explained how long they had to carry on doing this until the end of the age. What does that mean? It means we just keep on doing this until the Lord returns. Just keep on doing it until the Lord returns. We just keep on. We keep on. We keep on. Persecution may arise. It doesn't matter. We keep on. People may oppose us. It doesn't matter. We keep on. People may disagree. We keep on. People say, well you Baptists, you're also narrow minded. Why can't you be more tolerant and broad-minded? We're gospel-minded. Bible-minded. We'll be as broad as the Bible is, but no broader. Amen? That's right. That's right. I mean, you know, the Lord, Lord's given us our limitations. He's prescribed our boundaries, boundaries for us. And we're going to keep on, keeping on, until the end of the age. Well, what shall we do? When I was a student in seminary a hundred years ago, our professor said every sermon ought to answer the so what question. If this is true, and it is, so what? What do we do? In Malaysia they say, what to do? Well, that's the question, isn't it? What do we do about this? Well, that's what's going to come up on the screen right now. We need to pray for the unreached peoples of the world. There are about 16,000 people groups in the world. Just think tribes. People with their own language and culture. There are about 16,000. 6,600 of these people groups still do not have the gospel. They don't have the Bible in their language. They, they, they've not been taught. They've not been preached to. They've not been reached. So... We've got a big job ahead of us. Now, we could pat ourselves on the back and say, well, Brother Mark, we've reached 10,000. Isn't that enough? No. We've still got 6,600 to go. Jesus said, make disciples of what? All nations. Literally, that means all the people groups, all the ethnic groups of the world. So we've got 6,600 to go. There's still plenty of work to do. Lots remaining. Lots remaining. We need to pray for our 4,850 Southern Baptist missionaries. You know, you look at Troy Lewis and you say, you know, I'd like to contribute to his work. Or you look at Uncle Mark and Auntie Barbara, what they called us in Malaysia. Uncle Mark and Auntie Barbara. It's very Chinese. say, well, I want to support their work. say, well, what about that missionary in Brazil? I'd like to support them. That's the great thing about our Southern Baptist way of working through the The cooperative program that we give to week by week and through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, you're able to have a part in the support of 4,850 missionaries. You don't have to write 4,850 separate checks. You write one check and you have a part in the ministry of 4,850 missionaries who serve in 135 different countries around the world Among 874 different people groups. That's a blessing. That's a bargain. That's good stewardship. So my challenge to you is. Give generously to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Our our national goal this year is $175 million. And Bloomfield's goal is $15,000. And we can do it. We can do it. So I urge you. I urge you, give generously to the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. You'll find the envelopes all around the auditorium. And Miss Barbara put our envelope in the offering plate when it passed by just now. Now, We give too. We give too. All the missionaries do. And if you knew how generously they give, you'd be inspired. They believe it and they do it. So we need to pray for missionaries. We need to pray for unreached people groups. We need to give generously to missions. And we need to go. We need to go. You can go as a career missionary. You can go for two years. You can go for two weeks on a volunteer mission trip. But if you can possibly do it, go. 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 I've often said there are two kinds of obedient Christians. They're Christians who obey the Lord's command and go. And they're obedient Christians who obey the Lord's command and send. So if you're actively going, praise the Lord. If you're actively sending, praise the Lord. If you're not doing one of those two things, then you're a disobedient Christian and you're out of God's will. And we all need to resolve today, at this moment, that we're going to obey the Lord, we're going to be obedient Christians, and we're going to send the good news of the gospel to the nations. Because for them, it is good, the best thing ever, and it is news. It's news to them. We don't want that to be true for very long, do we? We want them to say, "Oh, I've heard that, and I believed it. That's where we come in. That's where we come in. What shall we do? We must be a people of prayer. We must be a people of power. Powered by the Holy Spirit. We must be a people with a passion to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. The best news there is. And we must be a people of perseverance. We we keep on. We keep on. We keep on. Until the Lord returns. God, give us grace to go and to send. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for the word of God that challenges us to be missions people, people who have missions on their heart. Lord, help us as a church to do this in obedience to your command and in response to the leading of your Holy Spirit. So we pray in Christ's name. Amen.